welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Now, God also says in the Bible that he calls the remnant of Jacob, or the Jewish remnant, he calls them the dew. Micah 5, 7, he says, the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many people as a dew from the Lord, as the showers upon the grass that tarrieth not for man, nor waiteth for the sons of men. See, God says the remnant of Jacob will be in the midst of many people as a dew. What's he talking about? He's talking about that. That means that God's going to use, we think, for example, the 144,000, he's going to use the Jewish remnant to bring the gospel of life to many Gentile people. And we saw in verse 28 how dew is a gift from God. But dew's not the only gift from God, because what's the next gift from God that Isaac prays for God to give in verse 28? Tim, what is it? After the dew of heaven. That's it. That's it, the fatness of the earth, the fatness of the earth. Okay, so here we see the connection between the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth. They're both gifts from God. God gives you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth. They're connected to each other. And Moses described the land of Israel that God was going to give to Israel with very special terms. In Deuteronomy 11, 11 through 12, it says, But the land whither you go to possess it is a land of hills and valleys and drinketh the water of the rain of heaven. Now here's what he says. A land which the Lord thy God careth for. He calls the land of Israel a land which the Lord thy God careth for. The eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it from the beginning of the year even unto the end of the year. See, for how long? From the beginning of the year to the end of the year, the eyes of the Lord are on this land. And he calls this land a land that just drinks the water, the rain of heaven. He says it's a special land because he has a particular care for it, and the eyes of the Lord are always on it. So that's how the land of Israel is described. And King David, when he describes the earth, And what happens to the earth, he describes it as in verbs, and I'm going to read this to you and think about causation in Psalm 104, 13 through 14. He watereth the hills from his chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of thy works. He causeth the grass to grow for the cattle and herb for the service of men that he might bring forth food out of the earth. There's a lot of verbs in there. And, and they talk about causation. God waters the earth from his chambers. It's God who's watering the earth. The earth contains the fruit of God's works. So in other words, you, you get a picture here like the earth is looking over itself, and it says, oh, I'm so satisfied. I'm satisfied with the works of God. And grass doesn't just grow for the cattle. It says God causes the grass to grow for the cattle. And food just doesn't come out of the earth. It says God brings forth food from the earth. 
And in another place, when David was describing what God is doing for the earth, here in, in Psalm 65, 9 through 13, David says it this way, and again, follow the verbs. Thou visitest the earth and waterest it. Thou greatly enrichest it with the river of God, which is full of water. Thou preparest them corn when thou hast provided for it. Thou waterest the ridges thereof. Thou settlest the furrows thereof. Thou makest it soft with showers. Just had that last night. It was nice, wasn't it? Thou blessest the springing thereof. Thou crownest the year with thy goodness, and thy paths drop fatness. They drop upon the pasture of the wilderness. The little ones rejoice on every side. The pastures are clothed with flocks. The valleys also are covered over with corn. They shout for joy. They also sing. See, God didn't just make the earth and say, okay, well, now you're on your own. I'll go away. No. When he said he, he planted a garden in Eden, well, the earth is like a big garden as well. And God continually visits the earth. And he sees when it needs water, and he goes there and waters it. You know, that's a picture of a gardener. That's what a gardener does. The gardener just says, well, I put the seed there, you know, you're on your own. No, the gardener is constantly, regularly visiting his garden. And you know, I remember when Takendo Ari built our Japanese garden, and, and the biggest joke was he said, it's low maintenance. <laughs> it's not low maintenance. Not the way he wanted it kept. I mean, you go out there and you visit it every day. But that, so what? You're a gardener. You love your garden. You go visit your garden every day. That's nothing. And you see, oh, some water is needed here, and you water that. And you go regularly visit the garden. See, that's what God says about the earth. He, he visits the earth like a garden. Water does, doesn't come to the earth. God makes the earth rich with the river, which is called the river of God, which he says is full of water. And corn doesn't just grow. Corn is described as prepared and provided by God. Years are not just, well, that was a good year of harvest. No, years are described as crowned with the goodness of God. And pastors are not just described, well, they got flocks on them. No, pastors are described as naked without the flocks, and God says, I clothe them with the flocks. I put clothes on that pasture out there, the flocks. And valleys aren't described as having corn on them. They're described as God covering them with corn. And, and the Hebrew word ataf is used there when it says he covers with corn. It means overwhelmed, overwhelmed. So God overwhelms the valleys with corn. Those valleys, they're described as they're so happy to be overwhelmed with corn that they're described as shouting for joy. You think I'm shouting this morning? The valleys shout louder. <laughs> and singing. And that's how the Bible describes the earth. And that's how the Bible describes dew and rain and crops and flocks and valleys. Works of God, gifts of God, dropping down, with dripping with the fatness. That's the care of God. That's how the Lord Jesus Christ described the sun and the rain. See? In Matthew 5.45, when he says that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, he said, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. See, that's how he describes the Son. The Lord Jesus says, God makes the Son to rise. And he describes the rain. He says, the Lord Jesus says, God sends the rain. See, the seasons, fruitfulness of the earth, they're all about God making and sending and providing and caring and visiting. And all of this is described 
as a witness. It's a witness to all people. You know, there's a people that are very close to where we are in Ethiopia. There's a lake there called Zuai, about a half hour away from where we are. And there's three islands there. There's people there called the Zai people. And they've been recently identified as one of the unreached people that have never had the gospel presented to them. They're kind of isolated there on those islands. I don't know what they're doing there. I know there's a hippopotamus in the island, but anyway, I didn't know about them. But you can read about them online where you read about everything. Anyway, so how do those people know anything about God if they've never had the gospel? Acts 14, 17 says, Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven, fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. See, that's a witness of God. He's doing good to man. The seasons, the fruitfulness of the earth, they're all about God making and sending and doing good. And this is what Isaac was saying in his blessing when he said in verse 28, therefore God give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth plenty of corn and wine. And when Isaac gave this blessing about God giving the dew and the fatness of the earth, Isaac had experienced this in his own life. Because we remember back in Genesis 26, 12, it said Isaac sowed in the land and received in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. We remember how it was emphasized, he received matzah. He received a hundredfold. In other words, God gave him a hundredfold, and Isaac, he just took the gift. And so when he was praying that God would give the fatness of the earth, in verse 28, he knew what he was talking about because he had been there. And when we saw how rain and dew are gifts from God that are sent to earth with a purpose to make food come out of the earth, see, there's that interplay between the dew and the fatness of the earth. You need one for the other to come out. Then we understand why the word of God is described as dew in the rain. My speech will distill as dew in Deuteronomy. Because it's with a purpose, and that's how the word of God is described in Isaiah 55.10. That's why it's described that way. For the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, that shall not return unto me void. But it shall accomplish that which I please. It shall prosper in the thing whereto I send it. We know that rain and snow returns back up, but it doesn't return until it's accomplished its purpose, to make the fatness of the earth come out with food. God says, my word will return, but it won't return without accomplishing my purpose. I've sent it. That's why the word of God is pictured as rain, both being sent by God for a purpose. And just as the rain doesn't return without accomplishing its purpose, the word of God doesn't either. That's why it's important for us. Remember the importance of declaring the word of God. Because when we do, God is sending his word for a purpose, and he tells us, I guarantee you that my word will be successful in accomplishing my purpose. But just as there is a connection between the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth, in that the dew causes the earth to bring forth its fatness in the form of corn and wine, there's a connection between the word of God and the spirit of God. And that connection is seen in John 6, 63. It's the spirit that quickeneth, that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, their spirit, their life. See, it's the dew and the rain that caused the seed to make the fruit. See, the word of God is called the seed 
in the parable of the sower and the seed is clearly said that in Luke 8, 11. The parable is this. The seed is the word of God. But without water, the seed is lifeless. And with water, the seed becomes alive. That's why the Spirit of God is like the water. Because without the Spirit of God, the book is lifeless. But just like the water makes the seed to become alive and grow, so the Spirit of God makes the Bible to become alive in us and grow. So you said it's the Spirit that quickens. The Spirit gives life. Flesh profits nothing. The words I speak can do. Spirit, life. So when Isaac is blessing here, we have to keep in mind that forget about the fact that he's in stubborn rebellion against God. He is still a prophet of God. And he is speaking truth. Although Isaac has one thing in his mind when he makes this statement, God has arranged it that Isaac is saying things that have applications that he's not even aware of. See, that's what the prophets are talked about in Peter. He said, they foretold things that they wanted to know what they were saying. They wanted to know what it was, but they didn't know. So we see this in the case, in very interesting in John 11, 47 through 53, which is really an emergency meeting where it says, then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, what do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. The Romans shall come and take away both our place and our nation. That's the emergency. And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, you know nothing at all. Sounds like a very good meeting. <laughs> very high respect by the part of the high priest to all of his attendees. He just told them, he says, you're a bunch of imbeciles. Apart from that, we have a very nice meeting. You know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. Not for that nation also, but that he also should gather together in one the children of God that are scattered abroad. Then from that day forth, they took counsel together for to put him to death. See, there was a situation. They were in the situation room, you know. It's an emergency meeting. The emergency meeting. Look, Jesus has done so many miracles. Jewish people, by droves, are becoming more and more devoted followers of him. They're calling him the king. They're calling him our king. Do you know what this, this is getting the attention of the Romans? This is a crisis. We need this meeting. If the Romans see that a new king of the Jews has come, then they'll say, this is the ultimate rebellion. They'll come in. They'll destroy all the Jews. And we priests will lose our position here. So the goal of this meeting that I now call to order <laughs> is to keep our high-paid, prestigious positions as rulers over the people and to stop this danger of this new emerging king, because not only is it putting our positions in danger, but it's, we're talking about the survival of the whole Jewish people here. So these Jewish leaders are having their emergency meeting, and it's pretty heated, as we saw. Caiaphas says, you know, you know nothing at all. And so what we can see from his statement, Caiaphas is angry. He is angry over it all. He has just insulted all the people at the meeting by saying that they don't know anything. And Caiaphas explains that all the Jewish people are in danger of perishing unless Jesus dies. And Caiaphas, the high priest, says that someone has to die. Either all the Jewish people are going to die or one person, Jesus, is going to die. And he says it's better for the one person, Jesus, to die than that all the Jewish people don't die. And what's amazing 
about what he says is the word that he used in the Greek when he used the word apolumi, which has been translated perish. See, it's, he says in, in John eleven fifty, it's expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation apolume, perish not. That word that Caiaphas used for perish, apolume, is the same word that's used in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not apolume, should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, without knowing it, without intending it, Caiaphas has just stated the gospel. He has just stated the gospel when he said in John 11.50, expedient for us that one man should die for the people that the whole nation perish, apolume not. One man should die for the people, so the people should not perish. That's the gospel. And the Lord Jesus Christ should die for all the world, so that no one has to perish. But that whosoever believeth in him should not, apolume, should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, Caiaphas was not intending to state the gospel. He was angry. But, but, but he did. Why? Because Caiaphas was the high priest. He was still a prophet. And God used Caiaphas' anger, his anger, and his selfish motives, and he used him because he was a prophet in that position to state the truth of the gospel prophetically. Without knowing it, Caiaphas is the high priest. He spoke true prophecy. Caiaphas was short-sighted in his anger, in his wrath, but what he said, God used to state a long-sighted true prophecy. God used the wrath of Caiaphas to praise him, as it says in Psalm 76.10. Surely the wrath of man, of Caiaphas, shall praise thee. The remainder of wrath thou shalt restrain. See, it's the same with Isaac in this passage. Isaac is one angry man. He is angry with Jacob. He is angry with Rebekah for putting down his son Esau. And Isaac in his wrath and his selfishness is being short-sighted and his blessing to try to exalt Esau over Jacob. But without even knowing it, uh, Isaac was speaking true prophecies, just like Caiaphas the priest. See, God used Isaac's wrath to praise God in Psalm 76.10. Surely the wrath of man, the wrath of Isaac, shall praise thee. The remainder of wrath thou shalt not restrain. See, these are true prophecies that Isaac has said there, and he's not aware of it. In verse 29, when Isaac says, let the people serve thee, and nations bow down to thee, be Lord over thy brethren, let thy mother's sons bow down to thee, and cursed be everyone who curses thee, cursed blessed everyone that blesseth thee. See, like the high priest, Isaac's angry. You know, the high priest started off his speech in his anger in verse John eleven forty nine. You know nothing at all. He was just thinking about getting rid of Jesus, but he ended up giving the gospel. One man should die, verse 50, John eleven fifty. For the people, whole nation perish not. That's what we're looking at in verse 29 here in Genesis. Isaac is venting his anger. The high priest was placed by God. He was in the position of the high priest. Therefore, God used him to prophesize. Even though the high priest was angry, he wasn't aware of what he was saying, God used that anger to state true prophecy. In the same way, Isaac was placed by God in the position of patriarch, prophet, and therefore God used Isaac to prophesize. Even though Isaac was angry and he was not aware that what he was saying, but Isaac's anger See, God was using it to state true prophecy. See, Isaac thinks, and here's the way it works, angry. Isaac is saying, I love Esau, and Rebekah and God hate Esau. 
what Isaac was thinking was what Rebekah said to him that God said to her in Genesis 25, 23, when it says, the Lord said unto her, two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. The one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. So Isaac thinks in his anger, I hate what God told Rebekah. I'm going to use my prophetic blessing to reverse what God told Rebekah about Esau. See, Isaac understood that God had stated two prophecies to Rebekah about Esau, which were that Esau was going to serve Jacob and that Jacob was going to be stronger than Esau. And Isaac hated those two prophecies about Esau, and Isaac in his anger was determined to overturn, reverse God's two prophecies that which were against Esau. Because, you know, Esau serving Jacob and Jacob being stronger than Esau. So in verse 29, is all about Isaac in his anger overturning what God and Rebekah wanted, which was to put down Esau. So Isaac in his anger is saying, I'll show you, Rebekah and God, I'll overturn the two prophecies of strength and service that are against Esau. I'll reverse them. So in verse 29, Isaac thinks he is prophetically blessing Esau, and he's taken the exact two points of prophecy that Esau was going to serve Jacob, and Jacob's going to be stronger than Esau, and Isaac in his anger thinks he's going to overturn him and, and make Esau stronger than Jacob, and Jacob to serve Esau. That's why in verse 29, he says, let people serve thee. When Isaac prophesied in verse 29, let people serve thee, Isaac is saying, God, I'm angry with you putting down my Esau, and I'll show you. You just watch me now. I'll reverse you. And as I make my let people serve thee prophecy, meaning that Jacob will now serve. Jacob will now serve Esau. So there, God, what do you think about that, God? And and, and then when he does this, he's saying, as for you, Rebecca, you favor your Jacob over my Esau. I'll show you. I'll show you with my let people serve thee prophecy. Your Jacob will now serve my Esau. So there, what do you think about that, Rebecca? Okay. See, in Isaac's mind, when he prophesied, let people serve thee in verse 29, Isaac thought that he had just nullified the prophecy that God made to Rebecca in Genesis 25, 23, that the elder is going to serve the younger. And now Isaac is moving on to nullify the second prophecy God made to Rebekah in that verse, 25-23, that Jacob should be stronger than Esau, see? Because the prophecy was that Esau is going to be stronger than Jacob. is going to turn it around. Isaac says, no, no. So he says in verse 29, let nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren. Let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. See, he thinks that he is prophetically blessing Esau and nullifying the prophecy that God made to Rebekah about Jacob being stronger than Esau. And he says, you know, nations should bow down. He's thinking Esau. And Esau should be over Jacob. That's what he's thinking. See, he's thinking, I'll show you. Rebekah's Jacob, you're going to bow down to my son, my Esau. And that's why Isaac said the rest in verse 29 about Esau being Lord and having his brothers bow down to him and cursing uh, you know, Esau's enemies and blessing Esau's friends. He says, so what he's saying in verse 29 is Isaac saying, God, I'm angry with you about putting my Esau down, and I'll show you, just watch me. I'll reverse you with my bowing and being Lord over and cursing and blessing prophecy. 
Satan. Esau will now be stronger than Jacob. So there, God, what do you think about that, God? And as for you, Rebecca, you favor your Jacob over my Esau. I'll show you with my bowing and my being Lord over and cursing and blessing prophecy. My Esau will now be stronger than your Jacob. So there, what do you think about that, Rebecca? See, in Isaac's mind, when he does this prophesying of bowing and being Lord over and cursing and blessing, verse 29, Isaac's thinking he's just nullified the second prophecy that God made to Rebekah in Genesis 25, 23, that the younger is going to be stronger than the elder. And see how angry, I mean, Isaac is. To see how angry Isaac is, how does Isaac in his prophecy refer to Jacob in verse 29, Irene? There you got it. <laughs> you got it. Okay, mother's son. What do you mean, mother's son? Isn't Jacob his son? Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or go to itunes.com and search for the Friendship with God podcast. All messages are cataloged by date and all available for free listening and free download. You can also call us directly for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. What are you doing this Thursday? Come to the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California for our Thursday night Bible study and fellowship. This Thursday at 6.30 p.m., we'll study aliens, UFOs, and what the Bible says about them and answer the question, are we alone? And what does God's Word say about close encounters of the fourth kind? Join us at the Creation Museum in Santee, California. Call us, 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or creationsd.org, creationsd.org.